You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at mutinyinfocafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. Fifty foot Ethernet cable, dude. That's why you look that's, so amazing. That's that's the excitement that happens in my life these days. Is like, I got a fifty foot Ethernet cable. Oh, did uh, did you get a new camera too? No, no. God, you just look so same good. Old, same old laptop. Ah, oh, but hey. we're ignoring our guests. Uh, I'm very I'm very excited for this episode because um, so this is unique. This is a first time episode is generally uh, every episode has been uh, someone that I've picked because they've been someone with whom I have at least some sort of pre-existing relationship with. Uh, no matter how tenuous, it's always just been someone <laughs> from, from my social panorama that I've wanted to get to know a little bit better. But this week I asked Gordo who we should have on the show, and Gordo is going to introduce me to a band that he loves, uh, a band that I've never heard before and listened to for the first time today. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, On this episode, we have a really awesome two-piece rock and roll band called Gort vs. Goom. We have Byron and Logan in the house today. Now tell me again, which one's Byron and which one's Logan? I'm Byron. You're Byron. Uh I'm Logan. Hello, dudes. It'd be funny if you guys fucked that up and both of you said Byron at the same time. <laughs> Just got it wrong, like right out the gate. And they're like, well, we blew it. If they said the opposite names. That would have been cool. I think we, we did try, try, try to do, do that. the Chip and Dale thing and say, he is. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, He's guys. Byron. He's okay, Logan. Welcome to the stream, guys. Welcome to the show. Uh, yes, welcome. Welcome. Yeah, man. This is This is like... How we stay engaged with the outside world week to week is sitting down on the computarium and and uh, getting together. And uh, you don't have to smoke pot, but I'm going to smoke pot. Um, you guys are welcome to join me digitally. Uh, I can mail you some if you want. But uh, yeah, it's just our weekly get stoned and hang out and talk about uh, talk about what is going on in the world of music and in the world of the world and in the world of the universe. So uh, welcome to the show. I want to learn more about you guys. First of all, let's talk about you guys dropped a new record and I listened to it on the way over here, Paperclip City. It like literally just came out uh, almost exactly a week ago, correct? Yeah. Correct. Berlin Brown. Who walks alone. With a penchant for leather. Navigator. With the love of the bottle.
the first thing excellent. yeah it is it's great and uh so there was a couple things that popped into my head right off the bat is it deliberately uh a concept album like is that something that you guys set out to do or like does it all revolve around a certain theme or what can you tell me just no, about uh, no i i think th- this is sort of a collection of songs they're all older at you know 2012 2013 oh wow Sort of as we were becoming becoming a band and sort sort of getting our legs under us as to how to do the two piece thing, right? These were, and they all started out instrumental. They were instrumental for years before we had words on top of them, and so the words are very much a, you know a post talk. Oh, this needs words so we can sing it, so we can perform it. So yeah, I got that impression where there's there's like almost no singing at all. It's just like Logan spitting spoken word, right? Or at times we, we, Byron. Or yeah, you we, so we you guys do it. go back and forth on it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I just I, I knew I knew Logan did at least some because I heard him mention himself by name in the I play strings and I can't sing. That's an uh, Afrosheen explosion song. That's that's one of my old bands from DC, and the the rest of the band made that song up to to kind of fuck with me. They were making fun of me because I <laughs> and you held on to it. I couldn't even thump eighth notes and and mutter at the time, so they were they would just give me shit, and they turned it into a song. And I was like, yeah, we should we should pull that out. <laughs> that's fucking great so uh so logan you so, play yeah, bass they're... byron you play drums correct yeah correct okay so i'm i'm kind of surprised to hear that this is like back cataloged material because it, it seems like you guys are fairly prolific like you've i looked at your band camp and you have you have several releases you have more releases on Bandcamp than we do that's for sure uh, like a long string of EPs and then uh, a couple full lengths in there, right? Like I, I was, I listened. So I listened to Paperclip City uh, and then the two EPs prior to that. So, um, oh God, what uh, chewed chewed out? Is that the name of it? Chew yeah. up, chew, chew up. up. Okay, cool. I got to like bring it up and look at it while we're talking here because I was like literally listening to it in the car. And uh, I was surprised by what I heard. Like it's it's a it's a very cool sound you guys have, and I'm just wondering uh, it, how much how much it varies from from release to release. Because I heard you know I only listened to um, the three releases, and at least to me they all sounded very different production wise and and song style wise. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm actually looking myself at what those three are. Just to make sure I, I address the right topic here. So yeah, each of those sort of comes from a different headspace. You know, the the older one, the Pulio extinguishing thing. You know, we were a little you know cleaner and more progressive when we approached that, and those were also recorded in pretty pretty close time to when we had written them. Right. That. Chew Up was 
was sort of an attempt to go back and be, you know, a little more punk rock, a little more gritty. Those are songs that we've had around for quite a while. The Coffee is a re-recording of one of the first songs we released. And Cage Animal, one of the first songs I heard you guys do was that was that song. I hear that pretty frequently when, that's, I, when I see that's, you guys. That's sort of our our anthem. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. the Caged Animal it was was just meant to be like as sideways and abrasive as it could be. You know, the the, the rhythm is all stuttery. I'm I'm sort of shrieking and growling alternately. The bass is all distorted. So it's it that one's meant to be sort of fast and in your face. And then the Paperclip City stuff, I guess, is is sort of partway in between, but we also spent a lot longer on the production of it. You know, the the Extinguishing Pulio thing, Chew Up, both of those were recorded in, in a day each. So Oh wow. You know, Very cool. Yeah, work, working quick, you know, a real careful snapshot of what we had in that moment. That the Paperclip City sort of dragged on over maybe six months. Well, yeah, I heard some interesting, like, left and right field, like, what sound like guitars, but may not be guitars in there every now and then, just kind of crunching in from the sides. I was going to ask you if that was... I'm not sure. Yeah, all all of the production decisions on this new one, you know, are, are pretty intentional and meant to sort of grow beyond, you know, with, with just two of us, it can... It's really easy to be really sparse. Right, right. Yeah, just, yeah. just you know, two two instruments, two voices, and so we were we were trying to find places to embellish that with you know a little extra, you know, not necessarily like you know a whole orchestra overdubbed, but places where you know like an extra bass guitar or rhythm guitar, doubled up vocals, or like or like sw- switching just like switching. Uh bass voicings like bass uh effects and sounds like i noticed that you would I- at least in the first couple tracks of of paperclip city you'd have you'd have the bass playing one riff and it would have a certain production quality to it and then it would be this uh the same part again but it would be a, a different type of distortion or just a different characteristic on the bass it was it was really cool to he um like I mean, it's obviously a home recording. Like you can hear the the giveaways of home recording type of stuff. But it, I was really impressed with like how inventive the the production was, and a lot of the like fun atmospheric stuff that you guys did. Who there's lots of knob twiddling. There's lots yeah. of knob twiddling. <laughs> yeah. So who twiddles the knobs for the most part? Mostly me. Mostly you. Okay. What yeah. did you? Uh, so what did you record it on, Byron? On an iPad. I use an app called Aria. Okay. Right All right. On. So you do it on an iPad and then what, like um, one of those like uh, uh, Focusrite solos, like the, the ones that... I've got a uh, Antelope Orion. Okay. Ah. Okay, I don't know what that is, so tell me. Help me, help that's, me. That's, okay, okay, that's <laughs> that's like a one, one rack unit box that has 32 inputs, 32 outputs. Oh, shit. And then you know, converts to USB. You get the the camera dongle for the iPad. Plug it in, and so you can have 32, 32 ins, thirty two outs on an iPad. What? Yeah, that, those are awesome because it recognizes all those channels. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. Hold yeah. on, I gotta yeah. I gotta write this down. What is it called? I was. The the app is Aria. So A-U-R-I-A. Aria. But what's what's the piece of hardware called? 
It's a Orion made by Antelope. Orion. It's by Antelope. Because I um, I was seriously considering going that route because I just recently had some gear crap out and I was like, man, that thirty-two channel situation is looking pretty good. <laughs> so, that was exactly my thinking. So, so Gordo, this has been this has been coming up a lot. Um, you know, because we we choose to go to the professional studio. You know, we go up to Evergroove, but then we talked to Adrienne Connor when she was on the show, and she does her stuff all at home, and it sounds right. incredible. And you yeah. do all your stuff, but send it out for mixer master. Yes, you know, to what degree do you think? Like, do we do you think we're going to see the end of? professional recording studios or do you think that people are always going to seek that out or i would i would keep one around you know i would i would i would say that you know brad's got a good place up there and evergreen i mean i love it up there but i also <laughs> you know like i can so and and i want to ask you guys more about this in, in a second but I've been trying to find ways to to maximize my just home uh, learning and eventually my demoing setup. And I have just a really basic Focusrite that plugs in with a lightning cable. I can plug the guitar directly into it and then use whatever plugins are in GarageBand. And, you know, you can export that as, you know, as an AIFF file and uh, send it to any studio in the world and have them reamp it, run it through plugins, whatever. Or, you know, if you're savvy enough, as it sounds uh, Byron is, uh, you know, you can do it all at home with, with the right... Like, I mean, you can do it with, a, with an iPad app. It's fucking crazy. Phone. Yeah, you can do it on your phone. Like, I made, I made an album for my, for my parents on Christmas a couple of years ago just on my iPhone with an acoustic guitar and a pickup and you know there seems to be with the um emergence of uh platforms like tiktok and and you know soundcloud's been around a while but soundcloud there's this market for lower like lower technical quality kind of like from from the hip content like are we going to see an end to really slick, heavily produced, you know, badass hardware, uh, uh, tens of thousands of dollars in production budget albums? Like, are we going to see the end of that in our time, do you think? Well, I, I think there is a piece of the music business, you know, where there is a need for that, that that meets. You know, right. If you are a, a major record label, you want somewhere where you you can go, and it's not a not a work in progress experiment. You you walk in the door, you know how it's going to work, you know you're going to leave there with you know a certain a certain degree or quality of product. Right. Yeah, and that's the thing you always hear about famous recording studios is that you know they have like the house band and the house crew of of techs and engineers and stuff like that, and that such and such album was recorded in a couple of hours. Like there's right, some. Right feet of of uh um you know what, what in nashville what are the, you know it's like five songs in three hours kind of stuff with the right. house band and like like when like, you have like yeah. the wrecking crew or the swampers or something like <laughs> yeah, that yeah oh, and, and I, yeah I, 
like every town, you know, Denver doesn't need three studios like that or anything, but LA or New York, you know, probably will continue to have places that are, you know, full of badass ringers and gear so they can just crank a, a specific right. type of soundtracks or jingles or whatever. Well, like, and, and I mean, I, I uh, was listening to Iggy Pop, um, The Passenger. And uh, that was recorded. We we drove by when we were on tour. Once we drove by the studio where that album was recorded, and um, uh, it, it's uh, Hansa Stu- Hansa Studios in Berlin. And I was listening to that song and just trying, like, kind of closing my eyes and just imagining the process of recording it and the the different effects that they put on it and the way that they mixed it and the way that they must have tracked things and I'm and I'm sitting there going, you know, it's a really it's a great song, great record, you know, Iggy Pop's amazing. At the same time, I don't hear anything that Gordo couldn't do in his basement. Oh, well, I I appreciate that. Well, and, but, I, and, uh, and I'm being serious, are, but, but I would also agree with I would also agree with you though that that's not <laughs> that as albums go. If I listen I'm in my listening, you know, my regular diet of listening, I wouldn't place that anywhere near the top of like, you know, incredible production value. Like I, I wouldn't put it up there. You know? well, well, right, you know, but it. I mean, how how many albums? Uh, like how, how many albums go to the extremes production wise? Like I, I, my guess is, is Have that you heard Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Well, yeah, but not everything's going to sound like Lady Gaga. You know what I mean? Well, like I mean, most of the albums that come that. out. <laughs> like I would, I would say probably eighty percent of the albums that come out are, uh, you know, if you if. You, I don't know. They're, they're, it's not like making Brian Wilson smile. Is my point? You oh, know, yeah. like like people like if you think about that as like the most extreme end of laborious production. You know, that's you can do all that with plugins. You can do that all with computers and 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 uh, what do you call it when? Uh, patches, you know, synth patches and yeah, things like Billie that. Yeah, Billie Eilish is making a pretty good argument for that right now, yeah. I think. Yeah, exactly. And so that's kind of what I'm wondering is, you know, and especially... And, and something I was curious about with you guys, and I wanted to ask you about this, and this is kind of circling back around to what, what I was talking about at the, at the very beginning of this little section of the conversation, but um, so you guys just released this album... How much of the work did you do during the pandemic, or was it mostly stuff that you recorded before <laughs> and uh, the, it, the, the it post-production was, was going on? It was, it's yeah, it, been it done was, for a while. It was mostly complete um, in, what, February or so? Yeah. And the original intent, we were going to play Foco MX, and we were going to release it just in time before that. And then the pandemic happened, and you know everybody sort of crawled back into their gopher holes for a while and well and i'm and i'm seeing and, logan and is wearing the shirt is. of the show that you guys were supposed to play yeah way to go bonnie yeah. Finley. this is uh my wife just pointed out the double meaning of the gets canceled uh t-shirt concept <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> uh, oh but, man know, that'd be a double whammy wouldn't it 
Yeah, I was looking at that. I was like, what do you, I don't get it. Just stood there like a dummy for like a minute. She's like, no, like, can't. I get it. That's hilarious. <laughs> so shout that, out See, to, that's to funny Bonnie. is you can, you, you can let people think that you got canceled in the other way. And then people yeah. would be like, ooh, what did they say? What did they yep. do? Somebody goes and forms a Wikipedia behind your back and makes up some story, some scandal. Yeah, man, that oh, could man. really help out your careers. I should be so lucky that would happen to me. That's a risky move. Um, <laughs> you know, so wait. So I had a question about Paperclip City. Now, like, th- yeah. that's that's the place where you guys record, right? Or, or, or that's where you do your that's creative a, that's work? That's practice space, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay, so you've you've done most of your recordings there then, right? Um, just these last two. Okay. We've only been there about a year and a half now, so. Cool. In an undisclosed location. Yeah. <laughs> so so why, why is it called Paperclip City? Because when we moved in, we, we pulled a hatch out of the floor. The place had been an office previously. We pulled this hatch out of the floor, and it's just full of paperclips. <laughs> like a cubic foot of paperclips. <laughs> In the ducts in there, yeah. just just that just that have gotten wow. lost over the years of different offices uh, being there. I, I mean, you really have to wonder if there wasn't somebody who like sat at the desk near there, and it's like every time they got a paperclip, they dropped it down the thing. <laughs> Dude, you guys could sell discount paperclips to to like home offices now. Like people still yeah, they, need paperclips. What like one big rusty mess? <laughs> oh <laughs> man, yeah, just years and years being stuck down there. That's it's hilarious. It didn't quite come out of there in a in a cube, but nearly. <laughs> wow, weird. a rusted mass. That's crazy. <laughs> hey, one of you guys was saying something about the the guitar sounding thing, and I just oh yeah, I just realized what that was on. I think on Evil Twin, there's acoustic bass yeah. guitar that's tuned. That's what like, it is. Tuned, yeah, it's tenor, yeah, it's it's tenor bass guitar with an octave. So I think it's like. A D G A an octave higher. Yeah, I was gonna say it's going on. It's and one of those first three tracks on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah the, the Evil Twin. There's there's five or six different configurations of bass guitar on that. Yeah, yeah. That's we awesome. reamped a lot. Metal yeah. Zone is a killer. <laughs> so okay, so on that though. note, let's talk pedals because from what I got, the impression oh, that fun. I got, you guys have quite a collection <laughs> of pedals. Oh yeah, he, he's got an array. I do, but I don't use that many. Like, (laughs) guitarists are always bummed out after a set. Like, they come up and they're like, what are you using? I don't have it here in front of me. It's at the space. But it's like the four most boring-ass pedestrian. It's it's like a delay, a wah, a big muff. That's all you need, man. Listen up, kids. Like, if you have a delay and you have a thing that makes you louder and you have a thing that makes you swirly... You're cut off. It's diminishing returns. <laughs> that's kind of the way I balancing act from there on. So pick good ones. I would Dude, I tend to agree with you on that. So and, and 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 I've been, you know, I've been taking up guitar. Like I've always been primor- primarily a vocalist, but and because I can't a primordial, primordially a, voc- a vocalist. But since I haven't been able to jam with my band so much um because our guitar player lives in chicago i've been building up my guitar skills very slowly and i went shopping around for pedals and that's pretty much what i broke it down to as well like in planning 
my eventual pedal setup, it's like you need a tuner, you need a distortion, you need like a delay. Oh, a tuner, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah tuner. Yeah. <laughs> a tuner with a decent buffer in it is like the best thing you can have on your pedal board. It right. solves so many freaking problems. And, and, and it it's does. the pedal that you're guaranteed to touch every gig. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the MVP. <laughs> I don't always. <laughs> yeah. No, but I, 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 um, it took me a minute to realize that you guys were just a two piece bass, drums, and vocals. And I was, you know, I, I got, so I know, I know this is like a faux pas to like immediately start painting someone's art into boxes. But immediately the impression that I got as far as influence was I heard Dead Milkman in there. I heard Devo in there. I heard like oh yeah, Minutemen. I heard um, I heard Morphine. Big business. I heard uh, Big Business. Yeah, totally. I heard, and then there was this band that was like a two piece kind of like noise power violence band from Denver. Are you guys from Denver? Not, not, not really. originally. I've been here 20 yeah. years. You've been here? Okay. Do you remember a band called Carrion Crawler that used to do shows? Like, they, they, they were kind of part of the, like, extreme metal scene, and they were they were a lot of fun, like, super noisy, fast songs, and, you know. Yeah, yeah don't, don't recall them off the top of my head. Well, it, it, I heard some elements of that in there, too, and just, like, th- those were just some of the names of stuff that that popped out in my head. How oh, far absolutely off? Absolutely to, to all of those. I think. Absolutely to all of them. What did I leave out? What would you add? Uh, do you know DeKreutzen from Milwaukee? DeKreutzen, oh, yeah. the one yeah. that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, I know the name. On, on I don't Touch know. Go, I don't know anything they, about their music, start, but I know the name. Okay, they started out as you know, sort of like hardcore teenagers, and then they got into this very like psychedelic, like proto grunge thing, and they broke up in like 1990. Okay. Okay. It'd be for me a big one. Um, I heard some King Missile in there, <laughs> maybe <Wow>. a little bit. <laughs> we're we're pretty hard on sleeve. Like if if it's something that we like, we're like, yeah, we can. We're not really embarrassed to. Right, to but, rip but off, we're also rip off our heroes. That it's that, you know, there's a a lot of a lot of stuff on the fringe there that we can bring in to sort of keep it keep it varied, keep it interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was my impression when I first saw you guys. It was like, man, these guys listen to everything. Don't, right. don't steal it all from the same place. You'll get busted. They definitely, they def like Gordo. As soon as I like started listening to the first track on Paperclip City, I was like, this is definitely a Gordo band. This is a band oh. that, that Gordo would be into. It, one of one of those uh, oh, yeah. one of those bass tones at the top of that is like a an earbud taped to the front of a fifty seven like reamping or something. It's like really that's well, so the, great. The, I think like the, the first three of them, the first three bass guitar sounds that you hear are different earbuds taped to different microphones. <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. That's you're, so you're thirty great. seconds into this thing before you're hearing anything that even resembles a real guitar amp. <laughs> That's really cool. So uh, I did hear cool. I did hear a little guitar in there. Who plays guitar? I play guitar. You play guitar. Like uh, yeah. you, you a big fan of the surf stuff? I heard a lot of. I heard some surf guitar in there, man. I, oh, yeah. I am. Yeah, actually, my my wife is in a pretty cool surf band. 
that we recorded at Paperclip City a couple months ago. She's in the Vampire Squids from Hell. And, and we, <laughs> yeah! Another great we have, a, right we have a surf band together called the Clendathu Surf Riders Club that plays like <laughs> every, surf every three years with as a duo or a trio or whatever we can manage. But um, I think and, we're, yeah. we're trying to put something together for you, YouTube and sitting on our couch duo in the near future. So, you know, look out for that if you like your... Well, yeah, I mean... Long, 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 long ago, I was in a, a surf band called the Custom Caravans. Cool. <laughs> right on. Yeah, we were awesome. <laughs> so, but now, you, you made the point of the, the, the couch collaboration. Never has it been a better time to be in a band with your significant other than, than now. Because you can we fight all the time when we're actively doing a band. <laughs> Do you? We can't stand each other. We're both very opinionated. Musically. So, for the sake of your relationship, you guys can't really do a like lot of I projects. Like I said, a gig every like I don't know two point three <laughs> years is just right. We we sorted it out. That's that's perfect. So we're about due. But yeah, the, yeah. The last one of those was at your wedding, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I think might where you played most, Rumble, <laughs> yeah, we played, we played uh, uh, Pipeline, a song that I wrote called Ladybug, and uh, um, and Rumble at our wedding, and oh cool, we had a we had a pretty big wedding, and there was two hundred and something people there, and when we got done, we were both like, that's the biggest audience we've played in front of <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. I might have, I might have beat that like some 10 years ago in a different band but uh, you know half of the people at that one were at the bar and couldn't give a shit about right, that. Well, speaking right, right. of they that were like the football game you know <laughs> speaking of that how did how did you guys get together like what's the story behind the origin of, of court versus goom i he moved mo- to town in what what was that oh eight yeah he, he moved to town he put an ad up on craigslist saying I think it said something, 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 Minutemen, Bad Brains. I said, huh, that sounds uh-huh. interesting. I'll give this awesome. guy a call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I still have that ad somewhere rife with the uh, uh, typos. Um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a time before spell check, I, I suppose. Or maybe I was just in a hurry. But, uh, um, yeah, Byron was the only one who responded to that. And it was, like, within a day or two. The so, only one who responded to it? I got like you no didn't even other, get any crazy people. We we well so <laughs> this is this is band origin. That's I, you know of all the other two pieces in town, they all have the same freaking story. So um, we met. We I was like, by myself, and then I met another guy. <laughs> no, no, just every no, the, every the, two we, piece we've met has like tried to have a trio or more and like just gotten frustrated right so you know we, we had another ad a, a different one after we met that was looking for a we didn't want we, we had ads we we had ads running for years after yes. we met a couple years we had a period Everybody. of time where we were a six piece and we've gradually just been chipping away at people since then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'll get down to two eventually, man. Like it, like we're down to four now and with Tony in Chicago waiting for a kid, like me and the drummer Ty have been getting together and just like you just want to go make some noise. I can barely play guitar, but I'll come hang out with you and we can make noise together. Like that that is what our band has become is pretty much me and Ty 
standing around in a room like while he very patiently waits for me to learn to play the guitar. Well, we we did not <laughs> we did not want a guitar player, um, and uh, we were looking for Why? a keyboard player because guitar players are a pain in the ass. Yes, they are they assholes, are. man. I'm a they're guitar all, player. And they're assholes. I'm probably a pain in the ass too. But uh, well, and the after we'd been playing together for I don't know a year, two years, you know, we, we'd sort of spackled in all the cracks. And so any guitar player who came in to audition, like we could steamroller them. It was. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got. Like, um, there's there is no room for this. Let's just grind on it. <laughs> well, you can, you know, uh, I learned this from Scott H. Byram. You know, the fewer people, and also we talked about it a little bit when um, we had Nate Valdez from In the Whale on the show is when you've only got two people in the band or like in Scott H. Byram's case, when you've got one person in the band, it makes it a lot easier to make decisions. It makes it a lot more affordable to go on tour. It re- reduces the complexity of the relationships. You know, it, it, it does streamline the process a little bit. I feel like it... You know, I love going on tour with my guys. You know, it's like a porta party, and it's it's always a great time. But I can, I can definitely say there have been many times in my life where I've been tempted to like sell all my worldly belongings and get a beat up old RV. Or God, you wouldn't even need an RV. You could get, you know, something with a big back seat and then just go out on the road by yourself. Like there's something to be said for that fantasy that i'm sure we've all had at some point or another um but, yeah go ahead like a, a couple of years ago i was hanging out with like we're we're friends with uh, a bunch of people in the the ska and afrobeat kind of scene rocksteady scene and we're hanging out with a couple of the guys from the dendrites oh um, yeah and me, me and my wife and uh byron called me and i was like i, I pick up the phone those guys in the band here hello Three o'clock. Okay, bye. And I put the phone down, and they all look at me like they want to kill me. And they were like, "You just scheduled a band practice, didn't you?" And I was like, "Yeah." And they were like, "We hate you like so much right now because there's like 13 people in that band at the we've time." We've got a we've like, got a spreadsheet out, <laughs> dude. There's so many people in that band, and when they used to when they used to tour too, it was the band plus uh, they brought. Colleen was was managing them and doing merch for them at the same time. So it was the whole band and an extra, at least one extra person, maybe even two, coming on the road with them. Yeah, you know, and you know, I I saw either Denderites ride or or Contraband when they were still kind of intermingling. Like their their tour van was like. You couldn't put an extra shirt in the van if you like. <laughs> well, and when it like, comes, when you're on tour and the the chips are down, where are you going to spend the night? You know. Yeah. Some some lunatic will bring one person, two people. In some cases, they brought up to six people. Like I can't believe the people that let the old six piece lineup. Plus, when we would bring White Fudge with us on tour, there would there would be up to eight of us on the road at the same time. Like I can't like I can't imagine bringing the Dendrites home 
or like Ethan Klein, our tech guru, he's uh, he's involved with Itch.io. And uh, you know he does a lot of stuff with them. I can't imagine going how on many, tour. How many motherfuckers is that now? Like that? I mean, that's a lot of people, right? It's like, like thirty-six people, <laughs> dude. I mean, what? What do you? I mean, you got to have everything ready to go that's, with that's an itchio itch-io LLC. That's like that's the, yeah, that's like a whole operation, dude. Man. There's more people in wow. itchio than we're in Heaven's Gate. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> 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 I'm pretty sure. I, I I would have to look up the exact numbers, but I'm pretty sure there are more people in Itchio than we're in Heaven's Gate. Touring touring ska bands know what it's like to go to the moon. Yeah, <laughs> they know what it's like to be on the mothership. Yeah, like they they're crammed into the space capsule for quite a while. Has anybody has there ever been a ska band that has adopted the like? Like Heaven's Gate as their like shtick, like as their gimmick, like they all come out in oh Fishbone, the, the track pants and the Nikes. Fishbone did that, <laughs> well, but no, nah, but, but for fish, <laughs> but, but for like, Fishbone, I don't think went to one member, right? But maybe, yeah, yeah. maybe it was more than that. I don't know. I don't think uh, I don't think that's where Fishbone was coming from with it. I think Fishbone was just around when that style of dressing was relevant and hip, man. But they, but they actually abducted their, one of their own band members from a like kind of a cult, right? Yeah, is that or is, is that true? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then he was he was kind of pissed about it. <laughs> he was pissed because they took him away from his cult. What cult was he in? I don't know. Uh, his dad ran a weird cult and basically yeah. brainwashed him. And then Norwood and and Fish went to like go kidnap him because they were they were told that was the only way to get him out of the cult and. Like they, the would-be kidnappers kind of change their mind halfway through, and yeah, I don't know. it's not a, like a happy story, but a big fan. Like they're they're a big influence. I, I would say like they're Damn. a very cool band. Well, wait, may, maybe he was in a fun cult like the Rajneeshis. Like the Rajneeshis seem like a pretty fun cult. You know, one of my he's a, like a second cousin older than i am um on my dad's side of the family is a college professor who's a, a, a an expert on like david koresh and that i forget there's an anthropological term for these doomsday cults like that you right absolutely but that's his that's his special like academic specialty is like wow. researching like heaven's gate and the branch davidians and stuff like that and i'm like man that's some that that sort of has an expiration date, doesn't it? Like, <laughs> I don't know. There's all, dude. Everything there's goes according to plan. They're they're not around anymore. You got to get them while they're still walking and talking. I suppose. I mean, Before that is a fascinating. Over, you know, that is a fascinating <laughs> study, and uh, I mean, it, it's something that I'm super interested in too. And there was a really great podcast on Spotify for a bit about Heaven's Gate. And it was hosted by a guy who wasn't in Heaven's Gate, but he came from another cult, and he talked a lot about his experience. Like, he drew a lot of parallels between, like, what it's like growing up in a cult and how Heaven's Gate went. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it can appear on the surface like you're just in some multi-level marketing club and your neighbors and friends just think you're kind of weird, you know? Like, I did an NLP training, and that... That rang kind of culty to some of the people that I knew, but they kind of just went, oh, Aaron's into some weird shit. But there were, there are, 
you know, it 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 takes a dark turn, kind of. It, it takes a dark turn, but that people are not really aware of until it's too late and it's over. It would seem. I'm a I'm a recovering Catholic. I can spot that shit a mile away. It's funny to me. I'm like, really? You guys are falling for that? Come on, dude. But this is this is like where I this is where I worry because I've watched some documentaries on cults and have actually sat there watching them going I don't see what the problem is this seems like like when I watched Wild Wild uh, Country the one about the Rajneeshis I was like I don't see what the big deal is I mean this seems like a pretty hip cult to me man it just seems like they want to live peacefully and they were antagonized by the locals and had to do what they had to do and Osho seems like a cool guy I don't see what the problem is and See, so they I put all that they they put all that content to really awesome music. So like you, you know you just you're just like yeah this looks awesome this is great. That is true. You know as a as a, as a big fan of of Jamaican music and culture, you know, I I'm not like uh, you know in a rush to become a you know want to be Rasta or something like that. It's just a Christian religion and. You know, pretty much the same stuff, but but their music is fucking awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. rad. Like they're great. Like why don't like why don't some of these other like religions try having like absolutely killer music? Badass it music. Work, it would work well for them. You know, I would actually, Klezmer you know music what? is if, super fun. Yeah, Klezmer is great. If a fucking reggae band, like say like a ten piece reggae band, played a mega church, I would fucking go. Those sound systems are amazing. Why not? It's actually, some of the mega church, uh, <laughs> some of the mega church bands or gospel bands are pretty, pretty bad. Like, so they, we they went on tour one time. So last week on the pod, we had um, Phil from Flex Bronco on, and we were talking about. And I forgot to mention this when he and I were talking about it. But he used to live in this warehouse just around Hunter's Point in San Francisco, and you know Hunter's Point. Um, has some rough spots in it. Like there, there are some there's some rough areas of Hunter's Point, but we didn't know that, so we just kind of went wandering into. Uh, you know, we had nothing to do that day, so we found a chicken and waffles place on Google Maps, and we're like, let's just go check it out. So we go walking through Hunter's Point in San Francisco, and we could hear organs and guitars and tambourines and singing and all this stuff and it was it was a church just in one of the neighborhoods and we walked in and it was you know one of the it was it was like the consummate like black revival church like they were partying and they're talking you know they're like you know i want you to turn to your neighbor and let them know and god 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 they were just like so excited and they're embracing each other and talking and everybody knows all the responses and we walk in and we sit down and all the people around us are just shaking our hands and just like high-fiving and hugging and and we're checking it out and we're you know a little baked and still a little drunk from the show the night before and just like just all grins just like blown away by this thing we happened to walk into we're like, awesome. and it was just such a welcoming environment to be in. You know, you almost forgot that it was church, and uh, 
Like, we got up to leave, and, like, the preacher's on the speaker, like, watching us walk out, and he goes, You don't have to leave if you don't want to. Stay with us, and ga 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 Like, and we're just like, oh, no, we're going to go eat chicken and waffles. We'll see you guys later. But it was, uh, man. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. See? Like, see, it works. It does. And, and I mean. Have, have good music. Well, there's something yeah. to be said about. Like an amazing musical experience is a religious experience. Like I've gone to some concerts that were like drugs or no drugs. They were amazing, life affirming, uplifting, uh, reorienting experience, rejuvenating experiences. And I can certainly see how we are wired for religious and spiritual celebration. I think just a lot of unscrupulous and sneaky and psycho and sociopathic people throughout history have taken that device and learned how to leverage it against people. You know, Logan, you mentioned you're a recovering Catholic. You know, there's that <laughs> there's that period in Catholicism where you could literally pay money to the church for a get-out-of-jail-free card. Like, you could go, I'm going to murder that son of a bitch. And you could go to the church and pay in advance so that you would get out of trouble when you go went and murdered that person. Like, that Like that was there, like... There still exists some version of that today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't have that much money, so... Yeah. Well, I, I think it's just not as overt as it was at one point. At one point, it was like... You know, it was just, it was part of the deal. It was like, yeah, what's the big deal? You can go, you can go pay some money to God. And these guys in the funny costumes, like, they talk to God. You don't talk to God. Well, you talk to God, but God doesn't talk back. But these guys, they talk to God, and God talks back to them and passes messages back to you. And God told me that if you give me this amount of money, uh, he'll forgive you for, for whatever you want to do. Like, they came right out, and it was, like, literally a get-out-of-jail-free card. Because yeah. the the church was so tied up in uh, in the courts why, at that point too. That's why music is better, you know, because like more morality is is you know got a got a a price on it, right? You know, it's it's flexible with a depend, you know, it's mar- market price those those morals. But music, <laughs> there's no money involved at all for anybody, so it's just <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hey, speaking of which, <laughs> speaking of the, 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 the money end of things and survival in the material world, um, how are you guys surviving the pandemic? What have are the discussions that you guys have had going forward? You know, what are you planning on doing with yourselves for the next couple years to to stay alive as a band? I know I gave you a lot there, but... Unpack it. Feel free to go. We got plenty of time. <laughs> go for it, Byron. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that we've been particularly deep into any of that. Yeah. But, you know, sort of com- coming through the end of last year, you know, last year I think was the busiest we'd ever been gigging and whatnot. And so coming out of that, we knew we wanted to slow down a little bit this year. Maybe not as much as we have ultimately slowed down. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you guys still you guys still practice, right? Like you're you're keeping up your chops. Yeah. 
But like I said earlier, we're both old, so we need to move our creaky joints and stop working for good. You know, so nothing, nothing beats like the Tin Man. I, I, you know, I love playing music with this guy. We kind of, you know, it's part of, you know, it's part of our our routine, um, and uh, it waxes and wanes when we have time. Um, but uh, but when we can, it's nice to play. You know, at least twice a week for a couple of hours and just kind of get get things moving and get into this kind of I don't know we have this kind of like boxing match kind of thing that we do like sometimes if we're trying to like cop a style that like we don't normally play in we can kind of focus and kind of stay in the pocket and stuff but when it's just like free for all we kind of just like who can shake who yeah yeah the more obnoxious out of time out of tune fill yeah and it's yeah who can play it back and, and can we find it? one at the end of it together yeah you know and every once in a while we do and so so i don't know uh it's it's just fun to play music and I'm, I'm fortunate to have somebody to, to play music with on the, on the regular who has the same sort of proclivities and, uh, and well, so like a bit of band history, like I was when, when I first moved out here, uh, I was um, an engineer, um, and I did a lot of field research stuff. Um, uh, and, uh, it was environmental testing at, at power plants all around the country. And we went to Canada and stuff a bunch of times. And so I was on the road 50 to 70% of the time. And so we would kind of hit it really hard when I was back home and then I would be gone for two or three weeks. Yeah. So, I'd, I'd get these calls, calls. He'd, he'd be, you know, he'd be in Austin pe- picking up an airplane saying, Hey, I'm catching the earlier flight. You want to try to play tonight? Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, that's one of the reasons we've been around for so long and did, you know, we didn't really hit our stride of playing tons of gigs. Like in our first year or two, we just kind of picked them up on short notice or when we could and then in the last two years, like the industry that I was working in kind of collapsed and um, and I kind of planned to leave that life to be a, a poor beatnik artist, musician type with absolutely terrible timing. Bohemian. 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 Yeah, that's it. Um, but uh, it um, sounds yeah. good. About a, about a year ago, yeah, it was, I was, or a year and a half ago, I was like, this is it, man, like, we're going to play a bunch of gigs, we can probably plan some, like, elaborate tours and things like that, and we were kind of inching towards that, and, you know, we were kind of hoping to make the... the yeah, we, we, were, we were talking about, you know, getting the press kit and stuff dressed up again, right as the world was shutting down. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were thinking right about now we'd be on the road. Yeah. Yeah, we thought this this was going to be a bu- you know a busy summer and. Well, and, what was the know. what was the last show you played before this all went down? The house uh, show. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin from Triplet's uh, birthday party, and I uh, forget what that house is called. It was the Sonic Vomit, uh, or not Sonic Vomit? Who were the the Giardia house or formerly? Um, and we played there, and that was great. Right on. House parties are always fun. Yeah, I love them. I love house it was parties. A lot of fun. I think one of the last times, one of the last gigs I saw you was on Broadway at, I think, what is now the Roxy. Oh, yeah. Was that the 2 by 4 Yeah. Yeah. It was just all the all the two-piece bands. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I put yeah. that together. We did, like, two official ones and kind of one unofficial one. Oh, yeah. 
other people have borrowed the idea from us. Yeah, so, yeah. So we we don't have to push it quite so hard ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Um, do you guys know? Do you guys know who the Limbs is? Like he oh, yeah. has. He yeah, hasn't been yeah. super active in a long time, but I, lo- I love John Mazuko. He's an old friend of mine. But early on, when he was when he was really hitting it hard, they put on a show at Three Kings that was it was just called One, and it was all One Piece bands. And he was awesome. uh, he was either the headliner or like like you know co headliner or something like that for the show. But I, I, I like theme shows like that. The two by four that's really cool. Man. Yeah. We'll do another one someday. There was talk of doing some kind of like virtual thing. So I don't know. If you're a two piece band endeavor, get in get in touch with me and we'll, we'll How talk do you guys that. how do you guys feel about the the virtual shows and the streams and you know, because bands in town now is sending an announcement every day, it seems like, for some band that I follow that they're trying to do something. And I was talking to to Ethan about this before we got going but it seems like a lot of bands that depend on the industry are really scrambling to come up with something to keep keep the operation afloat but I just don't know how solid any of the attempts are I don't know how yeah, it's, it seems like the you know the quality of production would be pretty highly variable. Not everybody has, you know, not not just you know a laptop where you can stream stream your voice in your face, but something where you can actually put a band on right. virtual air. That's that's a pretty big production. Right. It's like I, a, yeah. like those KEXP, you know, like videos that you see of people playing in their studio or something with the, just the high quality lights and sound yeah. and everything. Yeah. Or or a peel session or. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, even yeah. the really high quality ones, though, just the four of us in this conversation, how how many of them do you actually watch? I mean, how much are you really engaging with virtual musical content? Because I mean, I engage I engage with almost none, and I, you know, I don't want to say that that I'm some sort of indicator of the market, but I'm really curious what the market is, like if people are really participating in that stuff. We've been trained for the. This is the unfortunate part about it is for like the last say 15 years or so, we've been trained to expect that anything less than like movie quality shit on the internet should be free. Right. And I think no matter who you are, you've just been brainwashed that it's like, Oh, it's a, you know, a YouTube esque thing on the internet. Give it to me for free. I mean, well, but now every, everything should be free is the way that they're talking about it. Now. I mean, now you'll even see like really high, high production quality content. Like, like the studio where I do this podcast from, like we produce pretty amazing content here. Like most of here at Burn TV, most of the stuff is is cannabis related or cannabis adjacent stuff, like lifestyle content. I mean, we we make stop motion animated content primarily here, and it is like it is master art in a lot of ways, and it is very difficult to get people to pay for it. You know, they just yeah. kind of. 
it, it, there's just so much content out there, and so much of it is such high quality. And you can download DaVinci Resolve for free. You know, you can buy consumer grade, you know, or professional grade consumer electronics to, you know, good cameras, or you can shoot on an iPhone and make it look great. You know, you can shoot a a, a feature film on an iPhone. I've been seeing a ton of music co- videos come out on on iPhone and it seems like there's almost no way to monetize it. You know, and I just don't You know what's interesting though is that uh when I I just today put up an ad for a live stream I'm going to do on Friday and there was the option to monetize it. I had never seen that before on Facebook. And it was like Sell tickets to your event, and I was just like, "Wow, really?" See, there had like I was like, I I couldn't. I mean, like it's funny because all I all I'm doing is I'm just getting on there and you know just streaming myself talking about early demos and stuff that I'm just going to be playing live, and it's you know it's just a small affair. I wouldn't think of I wouldn't think of charging. Well, a lot of people have been doing that. Bandzoogle, our our website host. They have, you know, they've been putting out blog posts about how to monetize and sell tickets and Bands in Town has been putting stuff out. And, and Gordo, you were cursing the name of what's-his-name from Spotify uh, because he's like, he was basically saying artists need to get off their asses and produce more and that the landscape has totally changed and basically we need to just adjust to the model and create a ton of content for peanuts like right right well you know what they say and this this applies to our uh home video making uh live streaming home recording and religious uh uh conversations uh if the product is free you're the product so right <laughs> right it's it's exactly. like well, and I mean, you see this stuff about people, like, like they're like, how to sell tickets to your events. And I'm just wondering, like, our, I mean, we have people who, who back us on Patreon, shout out to our patrons, but it's not like it's a huge percentage of our following. It's like a very small number of people who really, really, really support what we do, mostly close friends and family members who, you know are able to make it work. I don't know how many tickets we would sell to an online event. Like I would much rather I would much rather give it away for free because I know that at least there's a greater likelihood of people engaging with it. So I'm just having trouble imagining who's going to be buying into the pay-per-view model when there's so much free content out there for people well i think it just depends on your preferences because i i recently bought tickets for a live stream it's the only one i've bought tickets for (laughs) it's like 15 bucks or something but i i bought tickets and it was i mean it was a very high quality event you know like it seemed like wow like that was worth it like you know what band was it if you don't mind me asking it was it was angel olsen and she just performed on her own and it was in uh it was i think it was in a masonic temple and uh and it was just it was beautiful she had a backdrop she had one camera it was just one camera and it just kind of went around the room you know just different angles um the sound was 
you know, pretty simple, but very rich, you right. know, like it was, it was just, it was a really, really cool experience. It was very intimate, you know, and, and I, they pulled it off amazingly well. And I, and I was like, wow, that is like, that's what's going on. Like that's, that's really what I think people are trying to achieve with the live streaming thing, you know, that I, I haven't even been able to come close to, but, <laughs> but I think this you know. was like four or five years ago now, but um, uh, there's a guitarist in New York named uh, uh, Mary Halverson, who's a really fantastic uh, jazz guitarist. And she did a, I mean, I think it was like eight bucks or something I paid. And it was a private concert. It was, you know, jazz combo, drum, you know, trap drummer, upright bass, big jazz box guitar. It was very well shot. And, I think there were only about 50 people who paid to get in and there was like a live chat and they were answering questions. Like she answered like a question of mine about something she'd played in a song. So it was like 10 minutes of music, like five minutes of questions and like real, and it felt, and it was really well produced and, and, you know, felt really cool. It was almost like a private lesson kind of thing. And and that sort of stuff was, is, is, is neat. It's really cool. And it, it, it feels personal but i'm I, I guess the challenge is scaling that sort of stuff like where do you i mean we already face that with live music where right. you know just in a bar like when you make the jump from the skylark to you know packed the gothic or something it's a very different experience and even a completely sold out gothic is way different than going to something at the football stadium you know it's it's just oh yeah it's in, like you kind of hit these like thresholds where it's like, well, it can't be this intimate experience if more than this number of people are, are watching or participating. And so I think that's maybe like the thing you got to consider and, and dial in. So it can be yeah. really cool. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Have I remember guys, seeing. Um, no, go ahead, Gordo. Sorry. I was just going to say, I remember seeing a couple of years ago. Mets put out a their latest album and they did a live stream from their rehearsal space and it was I think it was just one camera and it was and it was just really really what well, like the sound was really well done and I was just like wow that's amazing like more bands should do that you know and it's <laughs> it's just funny cuz I think that's what a lot of people are trying to do now sound good you know? Yeah, Yeah, a a friend of mine who's sort of in the you know the musical instrument pro audio retail side of things has been saying that like entry level home recording stuff, especially right as the lockdown was coming down, was just flying off the shelves. Everybody knew they were going to be going to be inside, and so they were getting their little you know their personas or their focus right or whatever they could afford at the time, whatever was in stock at the time that they were blowing through that stuff. Cables and microphones and whatnot, and that's only a little more recently that that stuff has started to come back into stock. So, obviously, you know, people were hedging their bets that we're going to be locked up for a while. I think. Right. Yeah. Right. For I sure. mean, I, I. What was it? Bill Gates dropped that quote recently, where he was saying he said the rich world will be done by the end of 2021, and I, I think his definition is like the global. Two percent. So the the basically the developed world will be will be done with COVID by the end of 2021. But for the rest of the world, it's going to be going on. It's going you know the implications are going to be far reaching. 
you know, they're, they're, they're going to go on for, for decades. So, I mean, we really, I mean, we don't know. There's lots of predictions that we could make, but at this point, it's all speculation. And uh, what's interesting, and you guys won't be able to see this on your end, but I'm going to bring it up on the screen here, is that we're talking about these different ways, like, to scale... Uh, you know, the live stream concerts and the stuff that people can engage in from home. And meanwhile, what I've got up on the screen here is a picture from Wuhan and this giant festival at a water park that they have. Have you guys seen this? No. Dude, like it's it's DJs and, and you know, and entertainers, uh, you know, uh, it's musical acts, and the the picture that I'm looking at is some MC or or uh, singer up on stage at this water park in Wuhan, and there are literally thousands of people in the audience. And meanwhile, we're sitting here talking about you know how do you monetize live streams? How do you make it work? And then um, Gordo, you and I were talking about Sturgis. Like, oh right, right. There's right, people. Yeah. There's people at Sturgis right now. Mask there there for, are <laughs> no masks. Just going to see shows, and you know, just having a good time, man. Just having a good old time. Just having a good old American time. You know, what's wrong with that, man? Yeah. I, dude, and that's the thing is, I don't, I don't fucking know, <laughs> and no one's gonna know masks. until this well, whole thing shakes out. Factory. Say it one more Say time. What? I, I said, don't tell me to wear my mask while I work in this asbestos factory. <laughs> right? I don't know, man. It's 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 fucked up. It's like it, it's like we're sitting here, like like our bands aren't going to are, are struggling to exist, and meanwhile, all this stuff is is still going on. Like none of this is going on. I, I don't. I don't. And then oh, and then you got on the other side of things. You've got. Metallica, I've got this up on the screen now. You guys won't be able to see it, but um, I've got this article in Variety. Metallica becomes first non-country act to film a concert for Encore's live drive-in series. So Encore is doing a a drive-in series where... Haven't having... the jam band idiots been onto this for, like, decades now? Oh, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, dude. I mean, totally. like, we the were... fish simulcasts? <laughs> dude, we those things about are... this the other day where, like, SST Records exists because they they stole everything from the Grateful Dead. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, the, 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 the jam band idiots have been onto this for, like... Twice my lifetime, dude. You know, you know like, what? And the truth is, is that our band, <laughs> a few years ago, Tony and I made the conscious decision that we need to, to, to study the jam band world. And a lot of it started out because I'm a I'm a big Ween fan. And actually, it was interesting on the last episode of the podcast, uh, Phil from Flex Bronco called Ween the punk rock Grateful Dead. He was like, uh, "They're great." Yeah, Ween's he was, fantastic. He, yeah, yeah. They're, we, they're, we, I would argue that Ween's better than that, but <laughs> yeah. I would too. And I think, and and especially their creative palette and just you know the like the boundaries that they push up against in their in their music is you know the Grateful Dead is basically a blues and bluegrass and rock band. Like at the end of the day, and and this is coming from a guy who does not hate the Grateful Dead. Like 
I work at a at a deadhead wing joint. They don't they don't bother me. I like a handful of their songs. I definitely don't understand the the rabid following, but what I'm more interested in is just the model of how like the jam and bluegrass scene yeah. works. Everything. Like every bit of it. Like fully like control, like fully in house. Oh yeah. Like they were pretty industrious and you know well they they, yeah. they were they were one of the several inventors of you know what we'd call corporate rock they right. were a corporation yeah, that yeah, existed yeah. to to Let's... tour this this music with these people they figured out how to fill an arena so everybody could hear it right you, yeah. you hear about like the beatles and shea stadium and it was yeah, and then the dad came up with the Wallace. Teenagers. Yeah, and you couldn't oh. hear him on stage. Yeah, right? yeah, they literally yeah. invented the sound system to do that with, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and and you know, yeah. sort of them and the Who, right? In the seventies were figuring out how to how to fill an arena with rock and roll. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and then you've got you've got in the mo- in the modern age you have like you have bands like fish and like ween and like widespread panic and and billy strings in the in the bluegrass world who's kind of coming up where their whole business model is producing as much as they possibly can for their market share for their for their fan base you know uh fish did that thing where they did the the baker's dozen series at uh madison square gardens and Every show was different. Every show had a theme, you know, and people were obsessed with the shows. The tickets had this, you know, super high face value on them. Not only that, but venues all across the country were basically streaming the simulcasts. Uh, The Oriental Theater was involved in it for a long time, and they wouldn't even sell tickets. They would just fill the theater and make all their money off of their their bar sales just for people who wanted to go watch a simulcast of a fucking fish concert. And that's incredible. And all I want to do is go drink beer at Three Kings. I know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, speaking of drinking beer at Three Kings, Gordo, did you see um I don't know if you follow Vinny Alfonso. Uh he's a friend of Jake Fairley's and he works for Fire on the Mountain, but he just did a big mural at the Wash Park location and the mural is all signs and marquees from Colorado venues and Three Kings made it in there and I thought that was really cool. Oh that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, he's got right he's on. got the old Three Kings sign painted into the mural of Denver venues. I thought that that touched me right in the cockles of my heart. So well, that that think? whole Broadway corridor, I miss that. I miss that so much right now. <laughs> well, and it looks like like uh, we're a third to half of venues as we know it are coming back, right? Yeah, that's yeah, what we we're. That's yeah. what uh, Ethan and I were talking right? about before yeah. the show got started. Is because I mean we're not anywhere close to there being. We're like a year out if things get less stupid. Which oh I'm yeah, well, and then people are still going to be scared to go to shows. Yeah. You know, if if the the WHO came out tomorrow and the CDC and they all got an agreement and they were like they're like everything's cool, it's gone. Turns out turns out it was a virus from another planet and the virus went home. It's not on the earth anymore. We're fine. <laughs> Pucci flew back to his home planet. Yeah, yeah, Pucci, exactly. That's exactly what I was, was thinking. He was killed. His rocket exploded on the way. Yeah. <laughs> 
Dude, I told I told a guy at work, like I, I made a poochie joke to a guy at work, and I work with a lot of kids that are like 15 years younger than me, you know, and he did not get the reference. I had to be like, it'd be like, The Simpsons was a television show that was probably at its height in the 80s and 90s, and you know what? Never mind. Just look. Wikipedia. I don't even remember how I know some of that stuff, but I can like conjure entire episodes from a certain era. Oh, dude, it's in our brain. It's in our generation's brains. I know. Brains, it's burned in. Yeah, but yeah. There were things the that I learned from the the Simpsons. Like there were things that I learned that I didn't. I was like, "What was that a reference?" I didn't know anything about that. Then I have to go back to the original source material to figure it out. Super it smart like, show. Oh, okay, it was a super I smart show. I haven't watched. I haven't watched a new episode in probably ten years. But oh, uh, nor I. Yeah, that, when, when uh, um, I used to watch the Tracy Ullman show, I loved the, the Simpsons yeah. sketches. Holy was, shit, you are old. Uh, I'm the kid in the room. Yay! And, uh, <laughs> I was young, but, you know, whatever. Uh, uh, but I, I, I remember that show. I liked it. I really liked the Simpsons things. And then there was the the Simpsons Christmas special was the first, like, full-length Simpsons thing. Was, yeah, I remember that. I think it was as it was being picked up for series. And... Um, and uh, somewhere in a box, I have a, a VHS tape where I taped that and Married with Children Christmas special, which were back to back. I had a roommate who had but, every episode yes. of The Simpsons on, or, on VHS when I was 19, man. If you remember that, that Simpsons Christmas special, they got the whole thing revolved around them getting their dog Santa's little helper, who was an ex race dog. So I lived in Maryland, like DC suburbs, Maryland. And we got from my aunt out here, who's a vet, she shipped us a dog yeah. who was named Jimmy, who was a, a retired brindle greyhound yep. from the Commerce City track. I had one, that too. Was the first dog that I had as a kid. And, like, we got that dog, like, a day before the Simpsons Christmas special went on that was all about them adopting a greyhound, <laughs> like a race dog. And I was just like, this blew my mind, man. Uh, this show, it's like it was written for me. It was wild, man, yeah. You know, I had to ask my parents to stay up late and, you know, I want to stay up late and watch The Simpsons thing. And it was like, like, turning over and looking at the dog, like, curled up in the corner. It was like, holy crap. Like, that's, <laughs> that's why it looks just topical like it. as fuck right now. Yeah. Dude, some, I, I can't put my finger on it, but something about this show just speaks to me i don't know what it is so um so something something the reason i brought up that metallica article is is uh sarah and i saw that come up and i was like oh shit you know i hadn't really had any interest in going to a drive-in concert but it's like you know it's like going to the grocery store during covid it's like it's an experience you should have you know what I mean? So you can, one day I can tell my son, oh, you know, when you were a baby, the world was insane, and we went to a Metallica concert and a drive-in movie theater. It was really weird. But then we looked into it further, and uh, they're just showing a movie of the last concert that they did in 2020 before everything went to hell. Sign me up. I'll pay $150 a ticket for that. I love well, it. Well, $150 <laughs> won't get you a ticket because what? tickets are going for close to $200. Holy shit. Bat shit. $200 about? to go watch a 
fucking concert movie <laughs> in a drive-in. Dude, I swear to God, I went on I went on bands and like Holy So cow. I've been getting yeah, all I, sorts I saw, of stuff. I saw the Snake Pit tour when I was in high school. I think this, floor oh, tickets yeah. were 25 bucks. You went and saw the th like with um what was that? Yeah. That was when the Black album came out or Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Well, were they were they charging more for the snake pit itself or was it just it, it was, was a just lottery. like a random a lottery? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah like they were picking people out of the crowd to do that. That's crazy, man. That's really cool. And and floor tickets were 25 bucks. Dude, it, it was bucks. I read Barry Fay's book um which is if you ever get the chance to read it, you've got to read it because he obviously had no help writing the book. Like, there's just all these spelling errors. It's poorly written. It randomly, like, he's got a, ra like, just random shit just thrown in there. There's, like, zero cohesion to the book. Like, he'll be telling a story about how, how fat he was until, like, The Who made fun of him for it or something like that. Or U2 made fun of him for it. And then the next page is just a list of his enemies. Like it's just like oh. this is a this is a list of bands that I hate to work with. It is such a good book, and the stories are awesome. But um, oh, awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> a super fun seen book. Joe Carducci's book. What what book? Uh, Joe Carducci's "Rock and the Pop Narcotic." No, what is that? Who's Joe Carducci? I don't know who that. Joe means. Carducci ran Thermidor Records, and then was the guy who, while the bands were touring, ran SST. Oh wow. Okay. Oh man, I didn't even realize he. I, I didn't realize but he had if, a book. If you've seen any That's of the, awesome. the movies about bands from the SST scene, he's like the skinny, grouchy old guy. <laughs> 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 so you, you have seen him, but he he wrote a book. Rollins published it. Do you have have yours at, at hand there, Logan? Yeah, it's on the bookshelf in the other room, but okay. Yeah, likewise. Just a yeah. just another one but, like but full it, of great it stories. Is, is Don't I have your copy? Acidic, <laughs> cynical take on the music scene on how punk rock very quickly got you know commoditized and productized. You know that you, you go from the Ramones to the Knack in about three years. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the Ramones were a pop yeah. band. You know what I mean? Yeah, like. Yeah. It, like and but but, but a pop and, band formed by a bunch of street thugs. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you hear you hear about there's like this punk rock purity test that exists for a subculture that was at least in large part influenced by capitalist intentions. You know the uh, okay. And, if you, and the, the the view from the Ramones is they might not have recognized just how far away they were from being you know the Shangri Las or whatever they thought they were going to be. Right. Yeah, they they really they thought. Yeah. They really thought they were going to be a pop band, and what they did just ended up being marketable in a different kind of way. But they set out to be, like you said, the Shangri Las. Like they. They weren't setting out to, you know, be the most abrasive, uh, fastest, loudest band they could. Like, they were just, like you said, street thugs who wanted to be the Shangri-Las. And then you have, like, the formation of the Sex Pistols and, uh, what's his name, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm McLaren? Malcolm McLaren. Is, yeah, Malcolm McLaren yeah. and his sex shop. 
who was just like, I'm going to take all these skinny heroin addicts in my neighborhood and I'm going to close on them. So I'm going <laughs> to, right, exactly. So it's yeah, like you have the sex pistols and the clash are boy bands. Absolutely. There's some of the, like they Nothing followed models of seventies pop music. Uh, it's not Rob. Is it not Ron Perlman? It's, uh, the sync, whatever that guy uh, the guy that created all those boy bands. Right, right, right. He's into, he was into blimps. But yeah, it was like Malcolm McLaren <laughs> is that guy like 20 years earlier. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the same yeah. model that put together the Runaways, you know, and and promoted the Osmonds and, you know, the Jackson 5. It's like, we've got a product to sell. And he, you know, Malcolm McLaren has this sex shop and he's like, he's like, oh, I'm going to take all these these snotty nihilistic kids and and dress them up and and make a little you know give them some guitars and let them pretend to play and and now you have these kids well adults you know i don't know i don't know how many kid kids are into like the fashion punk scene anymore i don't know if it's gone it seems to have a resurgence every every five years or so but you know you've got these kids who are really really into punk rock culture and it's like it's like man your whole way of of dressing and looking and the whole attitude and everything about it it like comes from a marketing decision and you know punk rockers and die hard metal uh metalheads tend to have the the strictest purity laws with regard to their counterculture it's a, it's a fascinating oh, thing it's always been fascinating to me Oh yeah. Well, that yeah. that Carducci book is great, and he makes the crankiest. He, he hates everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the crankiest Steve Albini rant is like him is being the introduction nice. to this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll have I to check Steve it out. Al, Steve Albini. What's the in the in the middle of it? You know, it's the classic paperback book where like there's ten pages in the middle with black. And Got the papers. photo plates. Yeah, yeah, and the one that like we I think about often that Byron like. He gave me his copy of the book, and I think he cracked it open and pointed at it. But it's a picture of uh, um, uh, ACDC, Bon Scott, ACDC, and the caption just says, absolutely flawless, not a brain cell to spare. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely flawless, not a brain cell to spare. That's That's great. That's pretty much the tenor of the book. Dude, have you seen, seen, um, there was a book that came out, it was it was like a coffee table book. It was a picture book, but it was all about the early years of ACDC. It was all about basically like Dave Evans through Bon Scott to, you know, right. It was basically like from Dave Evans to when Bon Scott died. And it shows pictures of their flyers and ACDC, like, on some of the posters, it's, like, live punk rock. Like, ACDC yeah. was considered <laughs> a punk rock band in their time because that was just kind of a blanket term applied to, you know, noisy, ragtag groups of, you know, long-haired thugs that you wouldn't want your daughter listening to, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man, it's R.I.P. to... That you know, Malcolm, man, he's a hero, big time, big time. Well, I mean, big, Bon big, Scott, big of course, was a huge hero of mine. 
You know, I love like, Brian Johnson. Don't get me wrong. I love Brian Johnson, but it's it's a it's a different band. You know, yeah, it is a different yeah, band. Yeah. It's a completely different band. Yeah. I had a uh, my 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 ex-wife. Shout out to my ex-wife Hannah, uh, and this is by no means to disparage her. This is just to rib her a little <laughs> bit, but she. Uh, we had this back and forth thing where she couldn't tell the difference between Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. And we would, and I would put on songs back to back and I would get really animated and really frustrated. And I would be like, you honestly can't tell the difference between these two singers. And she's like, I'd be like, who's this? And it would be like back and black. And she'd be like, I don't know, Bon Scott. And I'd be like, no, what the fuck? Seriously, you can't tell the difference? <laughs> There, but I mean, that's yeah, Bun Scott just says greasy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Brian Johnson sounds gritty. Bon Scott sounds greasy. But there are, like, that's a thing that's common with like musicians and hardcore music aficionados. You know what I mean? Like, there are people that they can, like, I've got this this guy that's a friend of my family. Uh, shout out to Jim Gelroth. Uh, Gordo, I think you've met Jim before. Uh, Jim and Roxanne come to a bunch of our shows. Jim is oh, like yeah. one of Jim those guys yeah. who like, he he is with rock bands, how some guys are with baseball stats. Like he's just a savant <laughs> for it. He's just, he knows who played on every record of, of bands, like mostly like 80s hard rock and heavy metal bands. Like he knows who sang on everyone he knows who plays bass on everyone he knows them all by name he knows who produced what record like there is something that happens when you're like a diehard fan that you can make more subtle distinctions that i think the market at large doesn't really care to make dude was he uh, man was he the guy that like i think the beatles was playing i, I don't know if this is him or not but it was definitely like at one of your shows but like the Beatles was playing in the background, and he said, "You know, that's not Ringo, right?" <laughs> and, and I was just like, "What?" Like it literally, apropos of nothing. Like I was just standing like next to him, and he's just like, "You know, that's not Ringo, right?" And I'm just like, <laughs> "Oh, I, I don't know. I, I have no. I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, like I don't know who was it. Wanna... Who was it supposedly? Pete Best? No, I don't even it think was, it was probably Pete Best. Paul." Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have been Paul. It was, it was later. It was later. It was like White Album Beatles. Yeah, I think like, there was something where like like Ringo wasn't there the day they wanted to do drums, and so Paul sat down and played them. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah, something like that. And you know, and I was just like, oh, cool. <laughs> well, the, the, yeah. the old the old joke goes is somebody asked them, well, you know, Ringo's not the best drummer in the world, and Paul turns around and says, Ringo's not the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> That's I great. That, I can see that being accurate, I guess. Like, From the bass playing standpoint, there's a bunch of like uh, uh, Beatles stuff that's like either Paul or not. It, there's a bunch of stuff that's that's either George or John. Well, George playing. was the but George was the music. Playing, playing uh, bass, yeah. I mean, so, George uh, was the more talented musician in the group for sure. Just as far like, didn't they? They picked him up. Yeah. He was like an art school kid, right? Yeah. Um, come together, I think is is John playing a Fender bass six, and so that and like probably the you know other than like Day Tripper Taxman or something that's probably one of the most iconic 
And it's not even Paul McCartney. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, wow. That whole album is fucking weird, right? That's a super yeah. weird album. You know? Right. <laughs> it's. Yeah, I mean, it's a. It's place. a. It's a cool album. It's like. It's like raw and dirty and kind of, of 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 concept album kind of stuff. That's a, that's a heavy one for an early like. This is what it sounds like if you just let the the, the kids play play with all the toys in the studio. <laughs> See, and that's and that's kind of back to what we were talking about. Is it's like, look, I love recording stuff at home. Like, I think it's great, and I'm really impressed when I like if I listen to a Granny Tweed album that that Gordo did. I'm like, and Gordo, I, I brought this up on almost every single episode, but it's seriously because I listen to your album almost every day, or at least a snippet of it, while I'm. You know, in between whatever else I'm listening to, because it's the Good CD God. player. Well, it's the CD that's in my car, so it's like <laughs> I I hear at least some of the new Granny Tweed album every time I start my car. So I got the vinyl one. It's yeah, I mean over there on the shelf. Like it's it's super. Like I love that. You know, I love what people can do home recording wise, but I also love going up to Evergroove and looking around at all the toys and going, can we play with that? Can you make this sound? Can you go on the computer and do something that I couldn't possibly do at home? You know, there's, oh, there's sure. something to be said for that. Well, you know, the thing to be said for like a real, I'm air quoting as hard as I can right now, a real <laughs> recording studio is that it usually comes with, with people who really know how to run the stuff. And as an artist, you know, as a musician whose job on a recording session should be to play as well as you possibly can, mm-hmm. right? Have, have the best performance you're capable of. Well, it's and really if, not, if you're paying for it out of pocket, then it it makes it, fiscal yeah. sense to do well, that as well. That's the ba- <laughs> that's the balancing. Act. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You don't fuck around or anything, but uh, but I I think it it, it helps to have uh, capable hands that you trust who are sympathetic. To what you're trying to do, actually, that's more important than them even knowing what they're doing. Like, really, <laughs> just you're being willing to help somebody, out. If you're in a band with somebody, and, and having that, some artistic background in common, that if yeah, if, yeah. if you if you say, well, I want I want the you know the the drum sound from this record, they yeah. know how and, to and find they, it much faster than you do. About then, it a then, then you don't have to worry about that. That's what they're going to do. You have to worry about playing your your part as well right. as you can. And and I think there's a really big. I think that's all that's left out of a lot of because like as we were talking about it, the the cost of of all the the fancy toys that you could never afford. A lot of that stuff's kind of coming down to more reasonable. Right. And a lot of the stuff that used to be inaccessible to regular people is becoming accessible um, well and that's all that's also why being in a band used to be a bigger deal you know it was a bigger deal to be led zeppelin because oh, just th- to there's have your a, own amps and a pa you could fit into a to have your own van dude the startup cost of starting a band like well and there was there was a market for it which would give you the resources you needed to keep. It was a lot more sustainable because it's like there was a demand for competent entertainers who could go to the different clubs on various circuits and play music for people to dance to. 
that is not like there's no demand for that anymore the, the old ramada in holiday in four sets a night in the lounge kind of scene totally <laughs> totally well or, I, or um, the, the roadhouse country or roadhouse blues kind of stuff yeah right that, right that it, especially in the uk with how close everything was in england you know i read um whose book was it uh joe cocker's book and it just talked about just the touring scene at that time like when he was a young man and outgoing in bands you know you're just you're just in the truck just going around and and playing the different sock hops and juke joints and gin joints and and while people are drinking beer and beer and trying to fuck each other like that you know now that can be sourced out to teletunes or uh you know a spotify playlist or a dj or something like that you know there was there was a lot more resources to develop and act and get them to the arena. You know, I saw two dudes get into a fight over touch tunes <laughs> in the Inglewood Tavern. Oh, at the Inglewood Tavern, hey, I'm sure. I was funny. like, yeah. I was like, whoa, guys, come on now. <laughs> it's like, well, if we had known it was going to be this kind of place, and we would have just gone to the Ingle Nook instead. And it was CCR. It was CCR oh, yeah. versus Skinnerd. That's, yeah, that's play both. And it was like, really? Like this is what it's where you're gonna you're gonna come to blows over CCR and Skinnerd. This is incredible. Ah, uh, sorry, Watt. I gotta go with the uh, with Skinnerd. Yeah, I, I think if I had to I mean, choose not, between CCR, you know. Hey, man, Freebird. I, Freebird gets a lot of shit, as does Stairway to Heaven, but. Both are only annoying because they were so monstrously successful that they got ran into the ground. And like bass playing on on Freebird. Dude, I I love that song. Like I yeah. I don't give a shit how overdone Freebird is or how corny it is. I love Freebird. The guitar solo at the end of that, we covered it for a little while and my bandmates would just like you know, groan about doing Freebird. They're like, why are we doing that song? It's so stupid. I'm like, man, when you get to the climax of that song, it's the greatest thing in the world. It makes people you, so happy. Do you know the you know the Frank Zappa Freebird story? No. Kind of ties in for all the, the jam band people who are still listening uh, to the, the Whipping Post story, which is that Frank Zappa prided, prided himself on being able to, you know, if anyone in the band knew a tune, the rest of the band could follow him and they could absolutely murder just about any tune in existence from right. Bolero to, you know, uh, a hot for teacher, you know, right. whatever. Um, and they were at a show and somebody kept yelling out Freebird and they kept playing Freebird and they played Freebird like 10 times, <laughs> you know, and, and like every time they'd stop and they would be like, all right, man. Like, have you had enough? <laughs> Dude, we've done that. Like, we've we've like, played Freebird to just like we we've to be assholes. Like, if somebody's being obnoxious and yelling, "Play Freebird," free we we've done that before, yeah. where we were just like, "Okay, Freebird, it is." Well, the, we the, did a whole the, Skinnered show, and so we had Freebird in our repertoire from the Skinnered set that we learned. So we would just bust that out anytime anyone decided to be a smart ass and yell play Freebird. We actually called our Skinnerd show like we went under the pseudonym Play Freebird spelled with all Y's. Dude. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's the, the the other part of the Zappa story is that like one day somebody shouted out, you know, uh, whipping post 
and nobody knew it. So they had the, like that night or the sound check before the gig the next day. They learned, you know, uh, was that Allman Brothers? That's such post. a great song. Yeah, and that that became their encore for like the last like five years of of Frank touring. But I just love that he played Freebird for like an hour and a half. <laughs> That's so good. That, is I find, that makes me maneuver. love Frank Zappa yeah. even more than I did before. I just, yeah. just absolutely murdered it, I'm sure. You know, yeah. Just everybody hamming it up. And, oh, yeah. I mean, you listen, like you listen to, I mean, the Frank Zappa live stuff is the best stuff because he their live show just changed so much over the course of Frank's career because he had different musicians and he was always experimenting with different arrangements and he was always fucking with his band trying to trip him up well oh, and yeah. fucking with totally, his audience man. too like yeah, he had yeah. you know he was a, he was a pretty contemptuous fellow and you know kind of difficult to know from many accounts and he was you know, he was a bit of a troll when it came to his bandmates or his audience. You know, he liked to fuck with people. That's one of my favorite things about trolls. Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's... I don't know. That's not like... I don't know. I mean, speaking of the live music thing, it's like, that's a unique thing. Like, I haven't really been... Like, a Ween show is probably the closest I've been to being kind of fucked with by the band. Oh, dude. They're trolls. precision... You know, Dude, they're, like, they're trolls through and through, and it's one of my favorite things about them is they like how playful they are philosophically as a band. And one of the things, like the things that speak to me the most about Ween is like not just their music because I love their music, but the relationship and the inside jokes between the two guys. Like just the fact that they've been friends their whole life and they have this like way of communicating humor between themselves and and the other guys that are in their band and it doesn't matter if the audience gets the joke i fucking love that like it that, i think that's a beautiful thing and and what's funny is you mentioned the correlation between zappa and dean ween and i actually read an interview where uh the interviewer was like so you've been compared a lot to uh frank zappa do you think that that's accurate and dean ween's like Man, I liked a few things that he did with the mothers, but for the most part, I think Frank Zappa's pretty fucking annoying. And and then there's <laughs> there's this other thing where they're like, you get lumped in with uh, you get lumped in with the uh, the jam band world quite a bit. What do you think of that? And he's like, I'm sure Trey Anastasio's a very nice guy, but to be honest, all that jam band stuff makes me want to puke. <laughs> it's yeah. just you know, it's it's great. Yeah. Uh, hey guys, we're actually running out of time. Um, we, uh, we did the late, later night episode than when you, we usually do. So I'm, I'm a little shorter on time than usual. I got to go read stories to a little kid and put him to bed. But, um, <laughs> before we go, I just want to say it's been really cool getting to know you guys. It's been really cool learning about your music. I think it's really interesting that the songs on the new record were, written and mostly recorded before because i really did get this like dystopian post-apocalyptic foreboding vibe. Well, that, that's us on a good day anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it like i got this idea of like i really got a post-apocalyptic vibe from from the record so um well and, and paperclip city you know the the building itself is this weird kind of derelict hulk of a place <laughs> right and so i think maybe maybe that helped inform how we approached it right it, it's 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 a very cool record i'm very glad i got introduced to it 
Um, I'd love to have you guys back on the show when we can actually have people in the room and have a conversation face to face. And I'd I'd love yeah. to yeah I'd love to do people. a show or come see you guys <laughs> or you know I, I I would love to do a show together. But at the very least, I want to come see you guys play sometime. So. Gordo, yeah, let's thank- all let's all do a show together. Yeah, we've been wanting to play a Granny show, Granny Tweed show for for uh, for years. I was well, pretty sure that twenty twenty was the was the year it was going to happen. But we were we were getting so wrong. close. We were getting so close. I know. I know. Well, it, it sounds like you guys are are among the handful of bands who unknowingly prepared for. The great band wash of 2020, because <laughs> um, you guys are kind of used to being apart and being kind of an on again, off again band anyway. So, we're like um, two irradiated cockroaches. Exactly. <laughs> we're like two irradiated cockroaches. We'll we'll we'll, we'll see you later. You know, if you're around. Yeah, That's yeah. A good name for the episode right there. Yeah, I'm writing it down right now. <laughs> Two irradiated cockroaches. That's the name of the episode right there. Um, yeah, man. So uh, real quick before uh, we jump off, tell people where they can find you, where they can get the album, what to watch out for, all the social handles and stuff. Go ahead and do your plug now. Okay, so the new the new record is Paperclip City. It is out on Bandcamp. Uh, six songs for five bucks. Hard deal to beat. Um, we are also on Facebook at Gort vs Goom, and we are on Twitter sporadically at just vs Goom. And our website is gortversusgoom.com. And uh, yeah, listen to all our crap on Bandcamp. We have like quite a bit of stuff. There's some, there's some neat. You know, we did a a, a dub reggae album with with. Some people from the Denderites and Contraband a bunch of years ago. Yeah, that's or that's a good that one. I really cool. like that. I really like that one. Um, oh man, that's cool. I I've got something check, to look forward to on the drive home. Then, which album is yeah. it that was the one that you guys did with them? Smuggling called, Contraband. Smuggling Contraband. It's got pizzas on the cover. Awesome. Our friend Lindy <laughs> did the art for that. And then check out the uh, Vampire Squids from Hell. We recorded uh, their um, their single um, a few months back at Paperclip City. And, uh, and they're very cool as well.
The motherfucking podcast is recorded at the Nug Nation Studios in Denver, Colorado, and hosted by Aaron Howell, Tony Lee, Logan O'Connor, and occasionally even Ty Blosser of the international power rock combo, Motherfucking Ruckus. Our producer in the studio is Gordon Ledfoot. Our producers in Chicago are Gene Skibbins and Adam Zielinski. All music except homie shoutouts and featured artists is written and performed by MF Ruckus and comes from the album The Front Lines of Good Times Volume 1, coming this fall on Rodeo Star Records. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, if you find this podcast valuable or entertaining and you wish to support MF Ruckus further, you can rate, review, share, subscribe, follow us on any of our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. If you really want to help us do what we do, you can go to patreon.com slash mfruckus and become a patron at any level. Our patrons get access to exclusive content, early releases, guest list spots, even VIP parties with beer and food, all in exchange for a small monthly contribution. It really does make a difference and allows us to do this podcast, make records, create videos, go on tour, fly Tony back and forth, and all the other stuff we love to do for you guys. Patreon.com slash MFRuckus. Check it out. Thanks again, guys. You're listening to a Mutiny Transmission. You can find more podcasts, videos, books, comics, and records online at MutinyInfoCafe.com. Or just stop in the store in Denver and have a coffee sometime. 